This is episode number 135 with Dr. Sarah Gottfried. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? This episode is brought to you by My Wellness Community, empowering every home to live a more natural lifestyle. You can choose from over 300 natural wellness products to be delivered to your door for up to 55% off the retail price, making living the wellness lifestyle easy cost-effective and super convenient. Join the movement that spreads wellness across the globe at mywellnessessentials.net. Dr. Sarah Godfrey is a mother, wife, Harvard-educated physician, keynote speaker and author of three New York Times best-selling books, The Hormone Cure, The Hormone Reset Diet, and her latest book, Younger, a breakthrough program to reset your genes, reverse aging, and turn back the clock 10 years. And for the past 25 plus years, Sarah has been dedicated to helping women feel at home in their bodies with functional medicine. And her mission is to help women feel sexy, vital and balanced from their cells to their souls. And in today's episode, we chat about her story from burnout to bursting with health and happiness, how to be at peace in your own body, why you need to look after your hormones, what is causing our hormones to get so out of whack, how to balance our hormones naturally, what are bioidentical hormones, the alternatives to the pill if you don't want to fall pregnant right now, how to turn your genes on and off, yes, it is possible, the number one health hack for epic health, happy hormones, and to turn your good genes on so they are dancing and happy, why you need to sleep on your right-hand side, the best anti-aging tip, plus so much more. And for everything that we mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. And that is over at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 135. And before we dive into today's episode, I want to read the review of the week. And this comes from Kitty Cat. And she says, thank you for your wonderful, inspiring and insightful interviews. You are helping to spread important messages to everyone about health and our bodies. You are truly making this world a better one. Thank you. Thank you so much for that beautiful review, Kitty Cat. I'm so grateful. And if you want to be the review of the week for next week, head on over to iTunes and leave me your review now. And without further ado, let's bring on the beautiful goddess that is Dr. Sarah Godfrey. Sarah, it is so great to have you on the show. But before we dive in, can you please tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? Breakfast. Okay, this is going to be fun. (laughs) It was a carb confessional this morning. So I had a brown rice tortilla with almond butter because yum, but also because I'm doing an experiment. So I'm a biohacker and this is not my usual breakfast but I'm defining my carb threshold right now. So I've got a continuous glucose monitor. I'm looking at my response to carbohydrates. I'm trying to figure out the maximum number of carbs that I can eat in a day and have the best hormones, the best glucose, the best insulin, and not gain weight. So that's kind of the long version of my breakfast. Mm, That's so interesting. That's really cool. I'd love to hear more about that. Like myself, you have been through the ringer with your own health, but it has led you to where you are today and the amazing practitioner that you are today. So can you tell us about your story and how you got to where you are today doing the wonderful work that you do with women today? Yeah. Well, I would say my story first began when I was in my mid-30s. 
And I, I was a working mother. I had one daughter and I now have two, but one at the time. And I was, I was working as a kind of a conventional obstetrician gynecologist. So I was delivering babies at night. I was taking out, you know, doing hysterectomies, taking out ovaries during the day. And I just really hit a wall. So a lot of it was that I just was burned out. I had premenstrual syndrome. I did not want to have sex with my husband. I was too tired to work out. And I I had this epiphany because I went to my primary care doctor with my symptoms, kind of my long list of symptoms. And I said, I've got PMS. I've got this weight that I can't lose after having a baby. I'm struggling. I feel way too young to feel so old. What do you got for me? And this poor guy, this, this internist that I went to see suggested that I go on an antidepressant. And I I think that's what a lot of women hear. You know, he also suggested that I go on a birth control pill because in his view, that solves every hormonal problem that a woman has. And then he also wrote on a whiteboard, and this is what really stung. He wrote on a whiteboard, exercise more plus eat less equals thinner Sarah. And so I just sat there in his office kind of stunned. And then I left his office and realized that, wow, millions of women are being told this very same thing. I wasn't depressed. I didn't need a birth control pill. I didn't need to exercise more. I thought that my problem was hormonal. And so that got me to leave his office, go to the lab and kind of apply that medical training that I had to my own physiology. And that was my problem. My hormones were totally out of whack. My cortisol was three times what it should have been, which is the main stress hormone. My estrogen was way high. I didn't have enough progesterone. Progesterone is the thing that really soothes women and helps us, you know, calm down at the end of the day. And my thyroid was slow, mostly as a result of these other things. So that's what got me started on this path, Melissa, of just realizing that my hormones were out of whack. And most doctors that you see have no idea how to help that problem. This is not an uncommon story, you know. I feel like I hear this almost daily and there's got to be something that we can do about it. And I know that this is why you're so passionate about your work. And you talk a lot about being at home in your own body, which I absolutely love. And to be honest with you, for all of my teens and most of my 20s, I was not at home in my own body. I actually hated my body and I was constantly trying to fix, change and improve it out of fear and out of hatred for what I saw in the mirror. And it's only, say, like the last four years where I've really been content in my own skin. And I think, you know, something really shifted for me in 2015 and that shift was when I saw my best friend pass away Mm. and when I saw her soul no longer in her physical body. And it hit me like a ton of bricks, how precious and how sacred life really is and how we must look after this vehicle, this temple that we've been gifted And ever since then, every day, I have been so grateful for my body. I literally thank my body every day. I have, you know, gratitude practices every day in my meditation. I thank my vehicle. I say, thank you. Thank you. I love you. Thank you. Because I have witnessed what, you know, it's like without your soul in this temple, like this temple that we've been gifted. And, you know, of course, there's little mean girl, inner mean girl moments that pop up, you know, that come into my mind, but I quickly master those and I come back to gratitude. And that's really what's helped me be at home in my own body. And like I said before, there's no mistake that so many women are experiencing the same sort of thing that you described earlier and the same sort of thing that I had, you know, in 2010 when I hit rock bottom and ended up in hospital. And there's so many things that we can do, but I want to hear How can we be at home in our own body? Because I know that there's so many women probably listening to this that do not feel inner peace and contentment in their own skin. How do we get to that place of love, respect, and gratitude within our own body? How do we do it? Well, first, I just want to honor you for what you've shared because it gives me chills, what you described with your your friend 
and with that realization that you had, the the epiphany that you had in that experience, you know, I think all of us have it at some point where we look back over our shoulder. For you, it was during your 20s and during your teens, where you look at that, you know, kind of obsessive drive to fix, change, and improve your body. I think those were your words. There's so much that drives us to that point. There's cultural biases, there's social issues, there's financial issues that kind of drive us to that place. So I don't have a simple answer for how it is that you come home to your body. But I think it starts with realizing that you're at a surrender point. So I had that surrender point when I was in my mid-30s. I've had many other surrender points. You had that surrender point when you witnessed the loss of your dear friend. But I, I think we have to get to that place of kind of realizing how much pain that we're in and not medicating it, you know, with the latest makeup, the latest fine wine, or whatever your drug of choice is. And so I started into this work with the portal of hormones. I got to a place where I just was forced to confront my hormonal situation. And it was a total hot mess. So a lot of women come through that particular portal, you know, certainly the ones that come to see me as a patient and work with me online and go through my detoxes, et cetera. But it's not the only portal. There's lots of ways in. I think for me, the first part of getting to that place of being at home in your body is to have your hormones back in balance. And just as I described with my primary care doctor, I don't feel that conventional medicine has any answers for us here. In fact, I think they fail us completely. And so this has to be a place where we have to reclaim our bodies, reclaim our power, and step into that grace of looking at our hormonal balance, acknowledging where things are not quite where they could be, and then getting them back into a place of homeostasis. So that's, that's a really simple answer. You know, the longer version <laughs> is a little more complex, but I, I think that's a place where you set yourself up for the kind of gratitude, grace, love that you're describing. Yeah. And I love that you don't treat problems or symptoms, but you get to the root cause of what's really going on and you don't prescribe one thing for everyone. You know, each woman that comes into your clinic, you treat uniquely and differently. And I absolutely love that because, you know, bio-individuality, we're all so different and unique. And right now, more than ever, we are seeing more and more women with hormonal issues. This is not new news to anyone. So firstly, can you tell us what are some of the things that are causing our hormones to go crazy and out of whack? And secondly, what can we do to balance them naturally? Yeah. So I practice functional medicine, which is the root cause analysis that you alluded to. It's a, you know, kind of a systems biology. It's a way of looking at symptoms, getting to the root of them, and then addressing them. So with root cause analysis, when it comes to hormonal imbalance, what I typically find are the most common root causes are the way that you eat, move, think, and supplement. So the food that you're eating, that can either you know, get your hormones into better balance or the opposite. Stress, endocrine disruptors, kind of what you get exposed to. Sleep, not just the quantity, but the quality of your sleep. Are you getting 90 minutes of deep sleep every night, for instance? Movement, exercise, love, purpose. And then I would, I don't think that you can correct your hormones with a pill. And I also don't think that you can fix every hormonal imbalance with a supplement. But sometimes a supplement can be a very helpful bridge to a place of better hormonal harmony. So those are, those are kind of the basic causes that I think about. And in terms of how to fix them, when I wrote my first book, The Hormone Cure, I took the system that I used for balancing women's hormones, you know, what I used to balance my own hormones and then what I used on the next 15 to 20,000 women that I worked with. And it's a, it's a really simple kind of three-step progressive protocol where you start first with lifestyle redesign. So what are the foods that you're putting in your mouth? 
How much are you drinking? Are you drinking filtered water that doesn't have lead and other toxins in it? Are you drinking the right dose of alcohol for you? You know, for some people, it's none. <laughs> for other people, they can have, you know, a glass of organic red wine a couple times a week and it doesn't cause problems. So the first step is lifestyle redesign. And that includes exercise, you know, like with PMS, premenstrual syndrome, we know that exercising four times a week is the minimum dose to be able to modulate the hormonal imbalances of PMS. So that's the kind of lifestyle redesign of step one of this protocol. The second step is botanical therapies. So these are herbal treatments, things like chaseberry for women of premenstrual syndrome or for people who have depression. St. John's wort is a very effective herbal therapy. And then the third step is bioidentical hormones. Now, I don't jump to bioidentical hormones. I think it's so important to lay the foundation, you know, to get your lifestyle kind of targeted and in the right place to support you so that if you end up needing bioidentical hormones, it's at the lowest dose and for the shortest duration. Can you explain that? With bioidenticals? Yeah. Can you explain to our listeners what that is? Yes. So bioidentical hormones are hormones that are exactly the same as what your body has always made. So I think the easiest thing is to give a couple of examples. So for instance, if I have a patient who's in her 40s, who suddenly stops sleeping, she's tried you know, the over-the-counter usual suspect. She's tried melatonin. She's tried taking Benadryl, which you don't want to do because that actually is associated with dementia. And nothing seems to be helping. What I often do in that situation is I look at how she's producing progesterone. And for a woman in her 40s, what typically happens as you start to run out of ripe eggs is that you don't make as much progesterone. So progesterone is often low, and then you have a case of estrogen dominance where you've got estrogen and progesterone not in the right ratio. I think of them kind of like tango partners, and you don't want one to dominate. You want this really good dance between the two hormones. So for a woman in her 40s with low progesterone, often what I'll do is make the lifestyle changes that help her with progesterone, such as taking more vitamin C. So even a dose of 1,000 milligrams has been shown to raise your body's internal production of progesterone. If that doesn't work, we move on to something like chaseberry, which also raises your body's progesterone levels. But if that doesn't work, typically after four to six weeks, what we do is we move on to bioidentical progesterone. So in the US, what we use is something called prometrium, micronized progesterone. It's exactly the same as what your ovaries make, but in your 40s, you start to make less of it. And this is one of the most effective treatments for sleep for women who are in their 40s and 50s. So that's an example of bioidenticals. You know, the, the ones that kind of get the most press are the ones that are used in perimenopause and menopause for women who are having hot flashes and night sweats and other symptoms of menopause, vasomotor symptoms. Right. Okay. So for a lot of women that are listening and their hormones are out of whack and they go to their doctor and the first thing that their doctor says is, okay, to balance your hormones, you've got to go on the pill. Instead, are you saying, you know, that we should look at the way that we eat, move, think and supplement first? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, you know, this has been kind of the blanket response from conventional medicine. And I, I want to be careful not to blame the physicians and nurse practitioners and physician's assistants that are handing out the prescriptions for birth control pills, because I was taught to do the same thing. You know, it's, it's not a matter of ignorance. It's more that many of these folks just haven't been taught an alternative. So, you know, if you take someone with, with premenstrual syndrome, for instance, just putting her on a birth control pill is not going to solve the root cause of her symptoms. So the root cause of PMS is typically too much stress, so too much cortisol, combined with something called progesterone resistance. And that's where the cells of the brain become numb to progesterone. So the science is kind of complicated. The concept is you just can't soothe yourself. And so 
We know, for instance, that women with PMS, they tend to eat about 275% more sugar (laughs) the week before their period compared to women who don't have PMS. And so, you know, one simple strategy here is to change the amount of sugar that someone's eating. So that's an example of a dietary change because sugar causes these other kind of downstream problems in the body and can, you know, kind of light up the addictive center of the brain and it it just makes PMS worse. We also talked about chaseberry as, you know, a second step for people who have PMS. It seems to help with that progesterone resistance. And you know, if you if you take someone with PMS, it turns out that birth control pills don't solve PMS. They just mask the symptoms and they don't even do a very good job of it. And if we just take the issue of birth control pills for a moment, I think birth control pills are the number one iatrogenic cause of hormone imbalance. And by that, I mean, it's caused by the prescribing clinician. So if you look at all the women that are on birth control pills, and as you know, there's millions and millions and millions of women around the world who are taking them, it tends to dramatically decrease the amount of free testosterone that a woman has. And that causes a lot of downstream problems. So testosterone is the hormone in women. It's, of course, in men too, but about 10 times lower in women, which means that we're really sensitive to it. It's the hormone of confidence, libido, vitality, and agency. And by that, I mean, you know, your ability to really express your power in this world. And so for women who are on the birth control pill who have a dramatic decrease in the amount of testosterone that they have, they can have mood issues. They can have vaginal dryness. It can even shrink the clitoris by up to 20%. Whoa. So there's all these side effects of being on a birth control pill. And I don't know about you, but when I was prescribed the birth control pill in my 20s, I was never told about these things. No, no. And no one ever said that it would shrink your clitoris by 20%. <laughs> no. and. There is so much data out there now on the side effects of the pill. Like you cannot escape it. There is just so much data out there. And I wish I had have been exposed to that data before I started taking it. And I was on it for roughly from about 18 to 23 or 24, so about seven years. And I had no idea no one told me. And you don't know what you don't know. And I'm so glad that I know this information now because there is absolutely no way I would put that into my body now. There's just no way. And so if someone is currently on the pill and they're listening, please educate yourself. Like read the data. Please, please, please educate yourself so that you know what you're doing. But I hear it a lot And that is, well, what do I do for, like, how do I prevent falling pregnant? So can you please shine some light on that? Because I personally have a regular period and so I do charting and that works for me, but I would really love to hear what your advice would be for those women who potentially want to come off the pill, but don't want to fall pregnant right now. Yeah, this is such a good topic. So I'm a big fan of natural family planning. I think that's, you know, the charting that you described is a really great way to get back in touch with your body to be in that conversation that we talked about at the beginning. You know, I think what happens for so many of us, especially overachieving women, is that we get out of that conversation with our body. And I love techniques like natural family planning and charting because it gets you back into that conversation. And so that's certainly a very effective method. I also like barrier methods, condoms, diaphragm. I don't know if in Australia you also have the cervical cap, but that can be very effective. I'm a big fan of the intrauterine device. You know, a lot of people are scared of it because of one bad IUD that came out in the 1970s called the Dalcon Shield that was taken off the market. It is no longer an option. And so the current IUDs that people use are very effective. I prefer the copper IUD to the progesterone secreting IUD or progestin, which is a fake progesterone. I don't like the Mirena IUD because about 
10 to 20% of women who use it have symptoms of excess synthetic progesterone. So I, I'm not a big fan of that. So I would say IEDs, barrier methods, and especially the natural family planning. Mm, awesome. Thank you for that. Now let's talk about genes for a minute, because some people believe that your genes you are born with are the genes that you've got, but you can actually turn your genes on and off. So how do we do that? And how do we turn the good ones on? Yeah. You know, when I went through medical school, which was 25 plus years ago, I was taught that your genes are your destiny. And we've really learned in the past 25 years that that's not the case, that you can turn your genes on and off, as you described, at your discretion, especially with the way that you eat, move, think, and supplement. So the way that you do it is through those small daily choices that you're making every day, you know, deciding what you have for breakfast, deciding what you put on your fork, deciding the architecture of your day, like how you calendar yourself, deciding the people that you surround yourself with. You know, it's said that you're the average of the five people that you hang out with the most. And you want those five people to be really influential, the type that turn on your good genes, you know, that get your oxytocin running, that hormone of love and bonding, the kind of people that connect you to your mission and purpose and, you know, help you really connect to your vision. So there's a lot of ways of turning on the good genes, turning off the bad genes. If I had to give just one recommendation, I would probably say focus on your sleep. Sleep is as close to a panacea as we have. And if you want to avoid falling down a hormonal flight of stairs, sleep is your best bet. And a lot of people say, well, okay, that's fine. I'm not a good sleeper. I've never been a good sleeper. How am I supposed to improve it? And I think the first step to improving your sleep is to track it. So I use a couple of trackers. I have a Fitbit that tracks my deep light and REM sleep every night. And I think that that's a very powerful way to kind of make sure that you're getting the type of restorative sleep that you need that will turn on your good genes and turn off your bad genes. And then you can do little experiments like I'm doing with my carbs right now to figure out what really optimizes your deep sleep. So there's a lot of different ways to turn on your good genes and turn off your bad genes. That's the science of epigenetics. And I'm happy to get a little more specific about it if you want. Yeah, let's let's do it. Go for it. I would I love this stuff. I love geeking out on it so much. And there's a common <laughs> there's a common theme, you know, almost every single guest I've had on this show mentions sleep. You know, and mm. I used to have this I'm, you know, a type A overachieving Aries Pitta body type. And for me, I used to have this mentality in my 20s that you can sleep when you're dead. And yeah. it was just like, go, 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 strive, 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 achieve, achieve, achieve. And I would stay up late every night. I would, you know, not be getting good quality sleep. And now I am like the sleep Nazi. Like I am, <laughs> I am so passionate about it. And my husband jokes that I could go to the Olympics for sleep and I'd win gold because I'm so <laughs> honestly, like, you know, I eight 30, I'm in bed. It takes me about 10 minutes, sometimes less. I might have to read two or three pages. And that is my quote unquote sleeping tablet. And literally I roll over, I put my eye mask on and my ear plugs in and I am gone and I'm gone for a good eight hours. I don't wake up. I wake up refreshed in the morning without an alarm and I'm bursting with energy and ready to go. But that hasn't always been the case for me. I have really had to make sleep a priority because I have read the data. I know the importance of it. And so for me, it was like, okay, I'm going to commit to being excellent at this. I'm going to commit to putting this at the top of my to-do list and my priority list. And I do it for my husband and I have a 12-year-old bonus son as well. And I make it a priority for them too. You know, I, I make sure that we've wound down in the evening. I make sure that everything's done nice and early so that we're not still doing the dishes at 10 o'clock at night, you know, and I make sure that everything's in place so that we can get into bed early. And 
I make it a priority. It is a priority for me and my family. And also, I want my little boy to get into good habits young because I have seen what bad habits at an early age do for a child. I have a younger brother who is six years younger than me, five years younger than me, sorry. Now he's in his mid-20s. And he got into a very bad habit when he was in his teens by watching my parents stay up very, very late. And he can now not break that habit. I mean, he can, but it's it's so deeply embedded in him. And he says to me all the time, he's like, Mel, I really need you to help me with my sleep. I really, come on, like, you know, can you really help me? And And I, you know, give him all of my little tips and tricks, but It's so deeply ingrained in him. And I say to my husband all the time, I really want to embed these great habits with our little boy so that he can go into his 20s. He's only in his teens now, but, you know, he's about to hit puberty, which is holy moly, his hormones are going to go (laughs) crazy. And this is when they need it the most. They're growing, they're growing, you know. And so I make it a priority. So thank you for mentioning sleep as a big priority to all of this. Well, let me just, I just want to say that what I hear from you, Melissa, is a deep commitment to sleep and to sleep architecture. And I I think that that's, often that's what it takes to, and I I totally want to give you the gold medal at the Olympics for sleep because I, I think that's just... That's a beautiful way to look at it. Like we should all try to be gold medalists. You know, the if you just look at the science for a moment, pretty much all of the growth and repair hormones. So we're talking here about testosterone, DHEA, growth hormone, many of the hormones that keep you from developing belly fat and just help to repair your muscles after you exercise during the day. Those growth and repair muscles are made at night. Pretty much all the healing in the body, those important healing conversations, those happen between the brain body at night. And so this is why it's so important to be sleeping well. And I also just really love how you have these habits, you have these strategies to kind of wind down your day and also to model for your 12-year-old son how to do this. Because I think you're right, you know, just as you're younger brother learned some not so good habits from your parents, not blaming your parents, but I I just think that's really common for teenagers to create these grooves in their brains, you know, kind of these bad habits that are very hard to change. It's almost like skiing down a slope. When you're in the tracks, you're kind of stuck in the tracks. It's very hard to kind of create a new groove. And so that's what we want. We want to do it with sleep. We want to do it with food. We want to do it with exercise. We want to create all these virtuous cycles so that you're not going down that path of hormonal hell. Mm, Absolutely. You know, there's so many other things that I do as well that I left off that list. You know, like we dim all of the lights in the evening. We wear blue blocking glasses. Yeah. When we are in Noosa, we don't have any streetlights. So we're in the country and we have all of the blinds open. So we've got the moonlight kissing our skin. We wake up with the sun. We don't have any technology in our room, no TV, no phone, nothing. It's literally just a bed. We have, you know, beautiful organic sheets and a hemp latex bed that doesn't have any springs in it. So we're not attracting Wi-Fi. Like we, we really do take it very, very seriously because not only from all the benefits that you mentioned, you know, that's when all the healing and that's when all the detoxifying happens, but also I felt the benefits. I know what it feels like when I don't get a good night's sleep. I know what it's like. And so why would I go back to that? It's like, you knowing that the iron is hot, why would you go back and touch it? You know, why would you continue to burn yourself when you know how good you can feel, why would you go back there? And that's, you know, something that I really want everyone listening to start to think about. Like, are your habits needing a little rejig? You know, can you and your family start to create some better habits around sleep and and your routine? Like, do not be on your phone in bed scrolling Instagram just before you go to bed. You know, 
turning your Wi-Fi off at night, turning your phone off at night or on airplane mode, keeping it out of your bedroom. You know, there's so many things that we can do. You know, diffusing lavender essential oils. There's so many things that we can do to really create a sleep sanctuary for ourselves so that we can really thrive. Yeah. Amen, sister. I totally agree with that. And I was scrolling through your Instagram earlier today. It was not at night. <laughs> and I saw a photo of you in Noosa where you are tan and happy and grateful. You look so beautiful. And you can just kind of see the benefits of sleep. I mean, I'm sure there's many other things that you're doing, many other good habits that you've created. But it might be worth it just for a moment because... I also feel for that person who, as you described, keeps touching the hot iron because I used to be that kind of a person too. Mm -hmm. You know, even though I knew something was harmful for me, I would keep doing it, kind of hoping for a different outcome. And so I want to speak to that person as well, because for some folks, they need to hear this seven to 10 times before they start the change management. So what happens if you have one night of bad sleep? You you referred to this, Melissa, and said, you know, it's just not worth it. I'm not doing it. So one bad night of sleep shortens that healing conversation. So you wake up not having had the growth and repair that you needed, that sleep is intended to give you. It doesn't detoxify you, as you described. There's this whole system called the glymphatic system. So not lymphatic, but glymphatic with a G that removes debris and toxins from the brain when you're sleeping at night. And it works a little better if you sleep on your right side. So (laughs) for the people who sleep on their back or on their tummies, that's not as good for detoxification. You definitely want to be sleeping on your, on your side. So the glymphatic system doesn't have, you know, this chance to kind of go in and shampoo your brain. Another thing that happens hormonally is that one bad night of bad sleep raises your cortisol levels so that your stress levels the next day are much higher. And I don't know, Melissa, if you can think back to when you last had a bad night of sleep, but you can feel that like the way it feels in your body is that you feel tense, you feel, you know, kind of quick to rage, you feel irritable, you feel inflamed. You know, you may kind of nitpick something that your spouse says, you know, you're just not as resourceful in terms of dealing with your kids and your husband and your friends. And you also make bad decisions. So one night of bad sleep, high cortisol, that then drives you to eat more refined carbohydrates the next day. This is very well documented in the literature. So there's this whole cascade of badness that happens from a single night of bad sleep. Mm, Absolutely. And Sleep is anti-aging. You know, a lot of people, when you say the words anti-aging, I I personally prefer to use longevity because when, you know, we say anti-aging, a lot of people think of those super expensive toxic creams that they see on TV commercials that they must use around their eyes to stop their wisdom lines. I don't call them wrinkles. I call them wisdom lines. And that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about longevity and being 110 and still backbending and headstanding with your great-grandchildren. And sleep is one of the best things for anti-aging and longevity. So we've just got to really, and for your hormones and for everything, isn't it? What we know in terms of longevity is that you want to be getting seven to 8.5 hours of sleep every night. And When I tell this to patients in my practice, they often will say to me, no, 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 you don't understand. I do just fine with six hours. And the truth is only about 3% of the population does well with less than seven hours of sleep every night. And you also don't want to be the kind of person who has what's called social jet lag, where you have a different amount of sleep during the week versus what you have on the weekend. So you can't make it up on the weekend. And similarly, you can't skimp on the weekend and then make it up during the week. You have to have consistency with your sleep practice. So the goal is seven to 8.5 hours at night. And I, I have to say, you know, when people talk about anti-aging, what a lot of my patients and folks I work with online think about is Botox and fillers. And I have to say, sleep is better than any 
Botox or fillers. Like it is, it is the best plastic surgery that you could possibly get. And it's free. And it's free. This is the thing, you know, it's free. You don't have to do all of that. Just get a good night's sleep. And, you know, going back to what I was saying before about myself being this, you know, overachieving person, I would set my alarm for 5 a.m. every morning, even though I work for myself and I work from home, I would still set my alarm every morning. And a couple of years ago, I, I thought to myself, well, my body loves waking up naturally when it wants to wake up. And there was a part of me that was like, oh no, but I might sleep through my alarm and then I'll miss my yoga class and then I'll miss training or whatever. And so I decided to trust my body. I decided to go to bed at 8.30 every night and trust that my body will wake up when it's ready at the most perfect time. And it always does. It like wakes up at five o'clock without an alarm naturally. And of course, sometimes if I do go to bed a bit later, like if I go to bed at nine o'clock or, you know, any later than that, then I'll wake up a bit later. But your body knows, your body knows how much sleep it needs. And it's a beautiful thing to be able to trust it and to go to bed at a regular time. And of all of the research that I've done, all of the data that I've read, having that consistency, going to bed at the same time is really good for your body and waking up at the same time and that social jet lag, you know, don't give yourself a pass on a Friday and a Saturday night to go to bed at 12 o'clock, you know, it's just putting your whole body out of whack. And I have found that the more I commit to going to bed at the same time and waking up at the same time, the better I feel. Yeah, I love that. You said, I decided to trust my body. And I, I think that's the theme of our conversation today, Melissa, because, you know, I'm board certified in everything that can go wrong with the female body. But what I really like to think about is, okay, what can go right with the female body? Like, how do we remove the obstacles to things going right? There's this innate intelligence to the body that we want to get back in touch with. So it's the same thing as those conversations we were talking about earlier. It's trusting your body. It's trusting that you'll wake up on time. It's not masking the innate intelligence of your body with a sleeping pill or with a birth control pill or with overpowering your need for sleep by binge watching TV or working too late. We want to get back into those natural rhythms and get back into that sacred conversation with your body. So I totally agree with what you just said. And, you know, to me, the kind of work that I do with functional and integrative medicine is to really connect to what is that innate intelligence in your body? How do we just make that channel as clear as possible? How do we remove the obstacles, but also how do we give all the nutrients that we can? to that innate intelligence. I love that. And it's all there. It's all there. We've just got to do it. Well, it's in your DNA. <laughs> so we started talking about genes and how do you turn on the right ones and turn off the wrong ones. And we've got this entire process that's in our DNA. And it's just a matter of, you know, not a one size fits all formula, but figuring out what makes the most sense for you. You know, so for instance, for me, I have the genes of like a 200 pound diabetic, like I'm half Irish, half Polish, and I could survive any type of famine. I've got a tendency toward insulin resistance, you know, where your cells are numb to insulin and I have a slow metabolism. So I have a couple of genes that, that kind of make this the case. I've got the FTO gene, which is the gene that's most associated with weight gain. I've got a few other genes that make it twice as hard for me to lose weight compared to other people. And so there's certain inputs that allow me to connect to the innate intelligence in my body. Things like eating fewer carbohydrates. So I told you earlier when you asked me about breakfast, like I'm defining my carb threshold. It's not the same carb threshold as you have. It's not the same carb threshold as, you know, a supermodel. It's not the same carb threshold as my husband who rides his bike for three to four hours a day. But 
eating low carb and kind of defining that carb threshold is one of the ways that I connect to my body's innate intelligence. And with this particular gene, another thing that's really helpful is to be exercising a minimum of 30 to 60 minutes, usually four to five times a week. Sleep is also really important for a couple of the genes that make me tend to gain weight. So that's, I just wanted to connect this back to trusting your body and really having that curiosity about what is true for your body. Like, what is that innate intelligence for? your own body. Yeah, I love it because we're all so unique and so different. So what do you attribute your success to? Oh, (laughs) well, how are you defining success? Do you mean having two amazing daughters and a husband that I'm madly in love with? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Well, okay, I'll just be vulnerable. You know, the first thing that comes to mind is inner divinity. So I would say that anything that I've been successful at is because of a connection to the divine. Mm. And, you know, I like to define that pretty broadly. I don't, I was raised Catholic. I then converted to Judaism. I don't think it's a religious thing. I think it's more a sense of connection to something bigger than us. So I would say that's part of it. The part that you know kind of got me started on this path was the portal of hormone balance. So I think getting my hormones into a really beautiful place of homeostasis, that's a big part of success. And I, I would say, you know, you talked about gratitude earlier. I think love and gratitude are the two most positive emotions. You know, you had Marianne Williamson recently on your show, and she's someone who's just really taught me so simply about, you know, what is not love is a call to love. This idea that I am meant to be a vehicle of love and any success that I have, and I'm even, you know, kind of humble to even use that word, is a result of love. And any times in my life where I have not been at my best or less successful or not, you know, like a beacon of love, it's because I was suffering in some way and kind of disconnected from that divinity. So I'm not sure if that's the answer that you were looking for, but that's what comes up. Mm, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. What is one thing that you're working on or would like to improve within yourself at the moment? Well, I talked about carb threshold earlier. You know, one thing that really fascinates me is how can I help more women? be fully in their power. And I think one of the things that gets in the way is this dissatisfaction we have with our bodies. And so I'm always interested in, okay, how can I help more women really feel at home in their bodies? And as part of that, you know, be in hormonal balance, including insulin, which is off in about 50% of Americans. And, you know, have that kind of that sense of ease and feeling life in their body. So that's something that I'm working on. But I would say on a deeper level, I'm really fascinated by the brain. So my next book, which is called The Brain Body Diet, is coming out in March of 2018. And this came up for me because I had a traumatic brain injury in 2015. And it was something that occurred as a result of pushing myself really hard, which is something I was pretty used to doing at that point in my life. I was in my mid 40s and I shot this TV show for about 10 hours and I ended up fainting at the end of it and hitting my head really hard, so hard that I had a what looked like a couple of seizures. And it took that injury to make me realize that I wasn't in that sacred conversation with my body, especially the connection between my brain and my body, like the way that my gut was talking to my brain the amount of inflammation that I had in my body. So to answer your question, the thing that I'm working on, you know, kind of on a bigger scale is how do we get that connection between the brain and body back? So not just the gut brain axis, but, you know, the way that your, your thyroid talks to your brain, the way that your, your brain talks lovingly to your gut wall so that you're not, you know, sending all these, you know, cortisol releasing hormone and poking holes in your gut and causing leaky gut. 
So how do you get those brain-body connections back into place? That's what I'm working on. Mm, I love that. Thank you for sharing. Now let's pretend that you have a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world. Now, besides all of your amazing books, let's pretend that they're already in the curriculum and we'll link to all of those in the show notes. But what is one book that you would choose to go in the school curriculum of every high school around the world? Well, the the first book that comes to mind is Marianne Williamson's A Return to Love. It's such a goodie. It's such a good one. And my two daughters are 18 and 13. So I've I'm just, you know, at the end of raising my daughter through high school. And it's so exciting to see her. You know, she just graduated from high school. She's about to head off to college. She's so full of like hope and promise. And she just went to Europe for a few weeks and had her first experience with three girlfriends of going to Florence and to Nice and Barcelona. And I, she's so happy right now and like so full of potential. And she's also just so brimming with love. And I feel like she really gets that Marianne Williamson comment, what is not love is a call for love. And she's ready to manifest it in the world. And that's what I want for every high school student. I just think that if your operating system is love, even though that sounds kind of hippy dippy and like I'm from California, (laughs) when it's your operating system, it helps your hormones get into balance. It helps your genes express the truest form of who you are. It turns on the good genes, turns off the bad genes. It is like a really simple horizontal through all the verticals that we talked about. And that's what I would wish for every high school student. Mm, Beautiful. I love that. Thank you for sharing. And we'll link to that one in the show notes and also my episode with Marianne because it was just amazing. But I would love to do now, I've got three little rapid fire questions for you. All right. In your opinion, what is one of the most important things that we can do today for our health? Just one thing. Eat more vegetables. Done. One to two pounds a day. Done. Easy. What is one thing that we can do for more wealth in our life? So more abundance in all areas of our life. I would say get really true about your purpose and vision. So not someone else's idea of what you should be doing. But what you uniquely bring to the world, do that and do it superbly. And what is one of the most important things that we can do for more love in our life? To be love. You know, just as Marianne talks about, it's not a matter of like getting more love. It's a matter of expressing more love, showing more love, you know, waking up in the morning and beaming your love lights on your children and your husband. So. Be love, show more love. That's how you get more love. Beautiful. Now, I love hearing about people's morning routines and how they prime themselves for the day. So can you please share your morning routine with us? Of course. Yeah, this evolves over time. I'm someone who is kind of low in dopamine because of the COMT gene. And so here's what I'm doing right now. I wake up and I make green tea because green tea is amazing at raising your dopamine. So it really helps me focus. And then I meditate for 30 minutes. The way I do it changes over time. What I do right now is I measure my heart rate variability, which is a measure of your balance between your sympathetic nervous system, your fight, flight, freeze, and your parasympathetic nervous system, which is rest and digest. So it's really helpful to me to measure where I am in the morning and then to kind of architect my day based on that measurement. So if I have a low level of heart rate variability, I'm going to have a kind of a more adaptive day. I'm not going to go hard and do HIIT training. I'm going to do, you know, kind of quiet sitting for my meditation and usually yoga or Pilates. If my heart rate variability is like a rock star, then that's the day I'm going to do hit. Maybe I'll go to Soul Cycle and I can do kind of a, a more challenging meditation. So I always meditate for 30 minutes. The content of that meditation changes over time, but at its simplest, I'm just sitting for 30 minutes and breathing. Slow, deep breaths, usually like a five to 10 second count. 
inhale, five to 10 second count, exhale. And then I, I greet my puppy. I've got a Labradoodle puppy and my husband typically gets up about an hour after me. My kids during the summer, much later. <laughs> and so then I sort of start my day with them, make breakfast, etc. Beautiful. I love that. Now, is there anything else that you want to share with us? Is there any parting words of wisdom or anything that you wanted me to ask you about that we didn't get a chance to talk about? Is there anything else? Well, I feel like we talk so much about sleep that I want to mention a couple of other things that help with sleep, especially for the folks who maybe are listening to us and saying, okay, that's great that they go to bed at 8.30 and they get up at 5 a.m., but there's no way I can do that. So one of the things you want to do to really sleep well at night is you want to get bright light in the morning. So if you get ideally, you know, like 30 minutes of bright light, walking outside in nature, no sunglasses, that helps to raise your melatonin that night. So I feel like since we talk so much about sleep, I want to give some of these strategies that can really help you. One other thing that I want to mention that really helps me with sleep is a combination that I take at night, a supplement that really helps me when I'm more revved up. You know, a lot of people have a hard time winding down at night when they're revved up. And it's a combination of two things, phosphatidylserine, also known as PS, phosphatidylserine, and ashwagandha. Ashwagandha is an adaptogen. And I take this combination at night and it just really helps me when I'm kind of revved up, like I'm on book deadline right now. And so it's hard for me to wind down at the time I know I need to go to sleep. And so the supplement is a good bridge. It's like a way for me to really get that kind of deep sleep that we've been talking about. So those are just a couple of more strategies for the, the people in the group who are just saying, yeah, I don't know how I'm going to do that sleep thing that they're talking about. No, they're great tips. Absolutely. One thing that I do is I just go outside and get the sun on my face and just feel that sun on my face first thing in the morning and it really helps. So thank you for mentioning that. Yes. Now, I am a massive believer in service and I want to know how can I and the listeners serve you today? I think the, the best service that you could do for me is to love up your hormones. You know, my wish is for all of us to live a long, healthy life, to be free of disease, free of suffering. And I think one of the ways to do that is to really be in a place of good hormonal homeostasis. So pay attention to your hormones. You know, you could take my hormone quiz, which is free online. It's at my website, saragotfreedmd.com, and see where you are with your hormones. You could measure your levels and do this, model this for your children. So whether you have boys or girls, this is such an important thing to model, just as you described, Melissa, with modeling good sleep hygiene for your son. Yeah, absolutely. And we can link to that in the show notes so everyone can go and take that quiz. But take your hormones seriously, take your health seriously. Sarah, I just wanted to thank you so, so much for all of your wisdom and your knowledge and for sharing so openly and vulnerably and honestly with us today. The work that you're doing in the world is so important. And I'm so grateful that our paths have crossed and that we've been able to connect today and have this conversation. So thank you. Keep doing all of the amazing work that you're doing. And thank you for sharing with us today. Thank you, Melissa. And thanks everyone for listening. Wow. I got so much out of today's episode. I had no idea it was going to go down this sleep rabbit hole like it did. But if you got a lot out of today's episode too, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review in iTunes or on your podcast app, because that means that we can inspire even more people together. And don't forget to tell me on social media, either on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, who you would like me to have on the show. And for everything that Sarah and I mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes, and that is over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 135. And you can also listen to all my other episodes there too. 
Just a reminder that you can now get your hands on my latest book, Open Wide, A Radically Real Guide to Deep Love, Rocking Relationships and Soulful Sex. All you have to do is head to melissaambrosini.com forward slash open wide to get your copy now. And whilst you're there, you can also get access to my free video masterclass that Nick and I created just for you. It is epic. We go deep and we chat about some very sexy, soulful, steamy topics. So make sure you head on over there. And if you want to be the review of the week, make sure you head on over to iTunes and leave me your review now. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best version of yourself, and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please, 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 please be an angel and share it with them. There might be one thing in this episode that really hits home for them and really resonates deeply and sparks massive changes and shifts within them. So be an angel and send it to them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you have got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.